Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Welcome into Friday on The Fan Morning Show. Justin Cuthbert and Brent Gunning. Final day before Canada Day. Big weekend ahead for the Toronto Blue Jays and the NHL World. Signing season. Lots of things going on. And you know it's going to be a good show when we are comparing the Oilers and Leafs cap sheets pregame. You know it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, there's a lot to get into on the Leafs side, lots to get into on the Blue Jays side. Uh, but yeah, that's that's like a tradition unlike any other, where you're just Oilers, Leafs, where are they at here on the eve of signing season? I committed to Cardinal Sins this morning, and it is just past 6 o'clock. I got myself into a hot Leafs lather before the sun came up in the day. Uh, you don't want to do that. I mean, I have had a coffee already, so you want to enjoy your coffee before you get yourself too worked up about the Leafs. And also, perhaps, no, not perhaps, definitely a bigger faux pas. I made weak coffee this morning. I had my first sip when I got in the car, and I was like, oh. What went wrong here? I don't know. I, I'm, I guarantee, no, I do know. I guarantee there was a misca- miscounting of scoops. I definitely probably okay. went like one scoop less than I should have. I always like to do a like big last scoop to make sure this never happens. Tough way to start start Friday. And the worst part is wife is going to be mad at me now because she's going to be drinking some of that some of that uh, that weak coffee. That she likes it cold. We don't need to get in all the I, 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 re- I respect it in a uh, in a world where it's you know it's it's pods, it's uh, it's extra foam in the drive through. No, no, You're out there no. putting scoops and filters. Yeah. And dripping the coffee. There we go. And there's really, honestly, there's nothing better. There is nothing get better. Get that little gurgling sound the, early the, in the morning. The gurgle gets going. You got the full <laughs> pot. It could kill someone if it spilled on someone yep. because there's a lot of mass there and there's a lot of heat involved. Uh, but there's actually nothing better than that old school coffee, despite all the different machinations, again, that we have uh, today. So, you know, extra scoop next time. I do commend you, though, for pulling that off in the morning. I, I cannot. Yeah, I yeah. have to stop for it because I cannot add that extra step. I'm well, way too immature and unprepared in the morning. The problem for me with that is, well, there's several things that lead to it. The biggest reason, I don't want to make this not about me. The biggest reason is that I am just a coffee sicko. I mainline it all show long, so I'd feel ridiculous going to a drive-thru and saying, uh, hey, here's two thermos cups, and can I get another coffee? That would just be quite a move. Uh, So I got to stock up. That's the biggest reason why. But then also get brownie points because it's sitting there waiting for my wife when she wakes up. And it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, what a, what a, it's like the easiest. Well, but it is the easiest thing in the world to get the most amount of credit because the (laughs) first, well, I mean, let's be honest. First thing she thinks of in the morning is my kids screaming at her right now. But after that, what a what a great husband I have making some coffees. Get a little brownie points. There's a little marriage tip for all you early risers. Well, out if you're there. getting screamed at it, screamed at, you might as well do it while drinking uh, some drip coffee. I was actually thinking like we should get like a little coffee machine in here, something that could just satisfy us when you know you don't want to get up, you want to get that little refill. Uh, haven't been able to figure that that piece out yet. I in my home uh, my home studio a desk in my basement. I have a Keurig right beside it. And the problem with that, uh, or, you know, pod coffee maker, we'll say, don't want to, no free ads here. Uh, I am terrified every show because again, I just love coffee. You don't know how bad when, you know, my co-host is asking a question. I'm looking over at it like, do I have enough time to sneak one in here? No, I don't. It's going to make a lot of noise. Uh, so that's, yeah. that's the only problem with having it here. But I mean, there's one right 
right there. Oh, that was the problem, though. That okay. one, I don't. I, I'm not getting into office coffee politics. People loved when I came on earlier and I discussed the uh, the merits of wearing shorts or and or sandals at the office. I do not have any insight on the office coffee politics. Sounds like I might have no, touched no, no a nerve, so we're just going to no, no, move no, along. No, no politics at all. Okay. Uh, it just does not work, oh, or at okay. least I don't know how to use it. Okay. I came in here with 100 pods one time okay. uh, to start my tenure. Uh, could not get it going, brought those pods home. Do not have a machine that is uh, that get those pods can work with at okay. home, so now I'm just stuck with a bunch of pods. Probably should have left them here anyway and let someone else figure it out. Uh, coffee talk is, you know, it always can carry us through. But let's get to the Toronto Blue Jays. Who... I could have done 10 more minutes of that, <laughs> just for the record. We should we should talk about sports, but I could easily do an hour on coffee. Let's, hey, let's do another minute. Uh, uh, here's one of my dreams. If we could oh. teleport, oh. if we could teleport, how would you use it? I mean, I'm just going to tell you how okay. I would use it. I would just go to different places, maybe a couple weeks straight, mm. and enjoy coffee in different cultures, different ways to consume that is, caffeine. I love that. that. Like, just spend every morning doing that. We need teleportation for that reason alone. When I uh, when I went to Jamaica on my honeymoon, they had wonderful, wonderful coffee at the resort. And now, anytime, like, I, I think I have a Google alert for friends in my life. And by friends, I mean literally anyone I know, that if they're going to the island, I am hitting them up of, you must get me oh. coffee x and i was a little was a little upset had the chance to like do the you know they have excursions at the resorts and stuff was gonna do the coffee one but it was like too much time away from the resort and i didn't go on vacation to be walking around and working so yeah <laughs> didn't didn't do that little bit of a regret but love love coffee uh it's the best and uh, just a quick plug uh coffee dad on twitter uh, an exceptionally uh cheesy corny twitter handle uh that that all coffee dads like myself love uh, the best. Okay, so uh, Toronto Blue Jays, uh, they got their third straight comeback series victory, meaning they win the series, uh, but they lose or they drop the first game in the series and respond with a couple victories uh, in order to save face or to salvage the series, which is a great thing. Winning series is exactly what they have to do at this stage of the season because you're not winning the division. And in order to win enough to make the playoffs while well, racking together or stringing together series victories is exactly how they're going to do it and how they did it last night, how they got two of three from the San Francisco Giants. Chris Bassett, who was brilliant for the Blue Jays I last night. I thought you night. were going to say by the skin of their teeth is where I thought you were it, going it was, that. it was skin of their teeth uh, for sure. And Bassett had to be as good as he was with a career high 12 strikeouts. The Bassett-Kirk connection has been a good one. Uh, we saw a little bit of a lull there, of course, with uh, Kirk going on the IL. Chris Bassett working on some different things. You know, he's calling the pitches. Danny Jansen's calling the pitches. Uh, what works the best is Bassett and Kirk, despite who's calling the pitches between the two. Uh, they had a 1.75 ERA and 11 starts coming in after throwing up a couple of goose eggs rather uh they improved on that mark last night yeah it's exactly what you needed from them they had already wasted one awesome start in this series from kevin gosman you didn't want to do that again last night and you know it wasn't a ton of offense to be shown i'm sure we'll get to the one big knock that that proved to be the difference last night but really important to take advantage of starts like this and it's weird to say with the Blue Jays team because the thing about them is that they are so the starters they do give the ball to on a consistent basis 
you feel pretty good about, obviously, to varying degrees. Kevin Gosman, the best. Barrios after that. Then I think Bassett. Then Kikuchi. It's kind of slotting in nicely. It's just you're still searching for that fifth guy. But when you're going to get results like this out of the guy who is your third starter right now, uh, I'll sign up for that in the third in the third game of a wild card series should it need to come to that. Looked pretty good to me. So uh, there were some concerning starts in the last little bit from Bassett. I don't want to put that all on Danny Jansen. Sometimes there's just a certain familiarity guys or certain comfort guys will have with certain catchers. But I also don't want to take anything away with Kirk because I think this was the point I, I brought up when we were talking about uh, Manoa and him was last year they had such an important connection and that was the guy who worked for him. So, you know, I'm big on Jansen and what he is as a catcher, but it doesn't mean he necessarily clicks with every guy. Uh, if Manoa comes back at any point in time, we know him and Kirk have that connection there. There's two starters he works really well with. And then that does start to, you can get into a bit of a, a habit or start to plan out how you can use those two if they're both healthy. So don't want to take anything away from Bassett last night, but do want to make sure to give Kirk his flowers because obviously he's doing something right back there. Yeah, if I had my druthers, it'd be... Uh... It would be Danny Jansen more often than not, mm-hmm. uh, but there are some things that are undeniable, and I guess what is undeniable is what you outlined there, that it just works better uh, with Kirk, Chris Bassett, that is, and it worked better with Alec Manoa with Kirk uh, last year, uh, and it seems like that's not really a coincidence. So, I mean, they came in the year with that being one of the strengths, right? Uh, Fangraphs had them, uh, the Blue Jays rated number one in terms of their catching talent entering the season. That hasn't been the case. Uh, Alejandro Kirk has not been very good offensively. Uh, The light hitting catcher has been more light hitting uh, certainly this year than he was last year. And Danny Jansen certainly had some moments of pop. He brings the power, I guess, to that platoon. Uh, But they're not quite getting what other teams are getting from that position. However, with Alejandro Kirk uh, giving some uh, more merit to his defensive role, partnering with Bassett in the way that he has, the big play yesterday was throwing out, uh, I'm losing the base runner, Sobel, I think it was. Yep. It, was a, it was a better play from Santiago Espinal, let's be honest, uh-huh. than it was from Alejandro Kirk. Uh, but throwing out a runner in a big spot to potentially save that game, which was going a bit awry there in the ninth inning for Jordan Romano. So lots of good things from uh, Alejandro Kirk uh, last night in a return to a partnership with Chris Bassett. And, and Bassett's really interesting, right? Because third, sp- third starter, what are you expecting, right? chance to win every time you're out there and more often than not you're gonna have some really great games you're gonna have some poor games and that's kind of what's happening with Bassett but his really great games are like legendary starts like he's having he's he's had five or six starts this season where he's been absolutely untouchable and incredible and really giving you some of the single best pitching performances of the entire season and sharing those moments I guess with Kevin Gosman who's had a couple really really good ones as well but his ceiling when he has it Boy, is he impossible to beat. And if, like, again, wild card, long, long time uh, from now, long ways away. But if you could capture one of those moments in a big spot, in a playoff series, even beyond a wild card, I mean, that's, that might be what you need, right? Like, it could be at the other end of the spectrum where he doesn't give you a chance mm-hmm. to win. But it's more than just giving you a chance to win. Like, you have to be actively bad to lose one of these high-end Bassett starts because he's frankly unhittable through six innings, like, or unhittable. I guess that's hyperbolic because he did get hit a couple times. But you can't beat him when he's pitching the way he did last night. On a team with Kevin Gosman on and a guy who was right there for AL Cy Young, 
you you nailed it. Bassett has at least two of the other five best starts that a Jay has given you this season in terms of the high end of what he's capable of. Last night was good. Obviously, the shutout that went up against the complete game shutout that went up against a Leafs playoff game yeah, and him Braves. and Strider were dueling. <laughs> never you know, to be seen. Never to be seen. The only guy who knows about it was our producer, Daniele. He was there. He he can swear. He can attest that it that it happened. On a team with Gosman on it, the fact that he has two of the, I mean, he has the best start of the season. He has one of the other top five. You mentioned the high-end ability that he has. We've seen the floor. It can get pretty low as well with him. But I'll also loop Barrios into this. We know the high end that he's capable of as well. And we always talk about the doomsday scenario, or at least I always do, of it can go bad. Now, Barrios has eliminated a lot of the bad this year. Bassett, you've still seen it creep up from time to time. But if you're another team, if you're, I don't know, it's not going to be them this year, it doesn't look like, but if you're the Mariners who played the Blue Jays last year, and you're sitting there saying, okay, we got to go through at least two of, and if it's two, it's we've done the impossible and swept them, it's going to be Gosman, Barrios, and Bassett. You just know what those guys are capable of. Obviously, Gosman, you more or less expect a at least a quality start, if not better than that. But with Barrios and Bassett, they are both capable of reaching almost, if not the ceiling, that Gosman's capable of getting to in and of itself. So that is a terrifying kind of murderer's row there. Now, again, the shoe can fall off. We've seen it with Bassett, haven't seen it with Barrios. But if you're just looking at this, not from a Jays perspective, but from... Team X, who has to place that, face them in a wild card, starting pitching, I don't see a world where the other team is winning that matchup. There are other teams with better rotations than the Blue Jays. I just don't think you're going to face them in a wild card. Yeah, when at their best, I mean, the Toronto Blue Jays rotation, I, we know the merits of it. We know that they are very talented, even without Manoa, even with running a, a four-man rotation. Uh, but really, I mean, they are racking up strikeouts. I mean, we know what Kevin Gosman's been doing. He's been hitting double. He can hit double-digit strikeouts yeah, with regularity. Big leagues, yeah. You say Kikuchi is striking out a ton of batters, and now Chris Bassett is getting up there in the 12 range, or in the 12 range, did hit 12, uh, which is which is interesting because you look at them on paper, and it's like, yeah, that's not the it's not wipeout city. It's not the most talented arms you, you think you'd ever seen in the world, uh, with the exception of Gosman, who does have that stuff. But they are uh, they're finding ways to do what maybe the bullpen doesn't do uh, as a necessarily as a strength or in the relative context of hey, look what other bullpens are doing. Uh, they strike out batters this rotation, even reduced to a four man. Uh, I'd have to look at the stats, but uh, in terms of strikeouts from your starting group uh the blue jays have to be up there given that given the numbers that have been posted lately and really what they've been doing all season yeah i mean gosman gosman has maybe the most effective kind of wipeout pitch in the al with that with that splitter you know a lot of guys will use that to induce soft contact he really uses it to to get swing and miss stuff and he's really capable of doing that with barrios you know slider curve slurve whatever you want to call it when that pitch is on it allows his two seamer to be so much more effective and that's where he kind of gets his case from obviously with Kikuchi we know the velocity he has for a lefty pretty rare or you know not exceedingly rare but just not something you're used to seeing from a lefty starter uh, so that's where he gets it from now Bassett's the confounding one right I mean he's throwing 76 out there at times he's getting guys to you know he he got somebody to swing and miss at the top of the zone on 93 last night it does not make a ton of sense but that's what a pitcher does I mean Greg Maddox is obviously going to be 
for a lot of people, the kind of gold standard of that. And I want to be clear, I'm not calling Chris Bassett, Greg Maddox, but it's always very fun to see, quite frankly, when you see a guy who is kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, toss and slop up there at, at times, and he's still able to get the swing of miss stuff. So it's, it's fun to see, but yeah, with Bassett, I don't think you can go into a start necessarily banking on a big strikeout game, but he definitely has it in him. Yeah. 93 strikeouts and 99 innings pitched uh, so far this season. Obviously that's buoyed by 12 last night mm-hmm. and the San Francisco giants are a team that does strike out, but you know, I, I, that's not elite by any means, uh, but I wasn't I wasn't expecting Chris Bassett to put up 12 Ks nope. in an outing this year. We did expect, or I should say, Alish did expect over four and a half. I'd say that hit. Yeah, yeah, that definitely hit. Uh, did that you, hit. Did early. you let us down last night? I think, I've, I think I've let everyone down for about a week and a half running here, so it's been uh, we'll pretty just rough. Move on. We will move on to the maybe the biggest story, uh, at least, or biggest development. Uh, Not that it's necessarily a new development because it's been a good little stretch here for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but he opened or he breaks it all open uh, with a mammoth posing two-run shot. Uh, Yeah, and when you can take pictures of it, uh, you know, it's a good one. Uh, That was a good one. A mammoth shot for Vlad, one of just three hits on the night for the Toronto Blue Jays, so uh, they had to make him count, and Vladimir Guerrero did with a two-run shot. Uh, blast that would carry the team uh, over the finish line in the end. Uh, And it comes and coincides on a day where it's announced that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will return after four years to the home run derby, which is very exciting. The all-star game going down in Seattle. Are we sure? We're sure Uh, it's exciting? I'm excited. I want to see it. Like I'm, uh, we can we can get into uh, is it going to hurt him or is it going to help him? Uh, I don't think it's going to do either of those things. I think it's going to entertain us for one night, and that's all I really care about. He's been reluctant to do it despite a record-setting performance in his only home run derby appearance. Uh, but he's going back, and I'm here for it. And I'm also here for the two-run bombs he's hitting to help the Blue Jays win important baseball games. Up until last night or last weekend, I would have said, yeah, sure. Get your butt in the derby. Who cares? You're having the year you're having. Clearly, it's not going to affect the power because the power hasn't been there this year. But he's finally heating up. He's finally getting into it. He's finally feeling his swing. He's finally starting to hit balls out of the yard. Now, this could be a a little weak blip and the power outage lasts past the all-star break. And then if that's the case... Who cares? Do the derby. But the fact that he is just finally clicking, hadn't hit a homer at home all year long, hits three in this homestand so far, that's the only reason why I have a little trepidation of him being in there. Like, if I was the Blue Jays, I would have been I would have been buzzing into Shulman's ear last night. Uh, he is no longer participating. We do not want him to do this. The second he was posing, before the ball had even left the yard, uh, yeah, it just feels like he's finally turning a corner here. He's so important to this team. Uh, as our boy, Jose Batista, told us, it's his team. They are going to go as he goes. I think you see them very much trying to win that into existence with everything that happened last night and the ice bath and all that so i again a week ago i would have said yeah great who cares get in there now little little bit of a trepidation on my part well a week ago the conversation would have been oh well it can't hurt right like you can do it, it mm-hmm. it's not going well so maybe that will get him going but then that then people are speaking on both sides of their uh both sides of the mouth because a lot of people are touting oh look at the exit velocity on these ground yeah. balls and look at how you know all the advanced metrics are saying he's still that elite hitter 
Uh, but then you're saying, oh, it can't hurt that he would go in a home run derby because then you'd be risking giving away all that exit velocity and the hard hit rate on the ground ball that you've been trying and clinging to as someone who believes that he's going to turn his season around. I just think it all doesn't matter. I think everything is overblown. I think your participation, excuse me, in the home run derby should not preclude you from having a strong second half. I don't see other guys really dealing with the effects. Pete Alonso's been there like every year since he... Yeah, Pete, okay, here's the... And Pete Alonso keeps hitting home runs. We got to talk about Pete Alonso here and... You know, he's he's his nickname is literally my favorite animal as a kid growing up. The polar bear. Okay, love the guy. But he is just a meathead through and through. It's not possible to cloud up Pete Alonzo's thoughts. Okay, you cannot be doing that. He is built. So is it all about about thoughts? Sorry. And there is one other part of this as well. It's kind of dumb, but it's kind of not. Pete Alonso had it baked into his rookie or his incentive laden rookie deals of if I win the Derby, it's going to effectively double the salary okay. I was making on yeah. okay, so the reason he, he's going. So he actually well, got, he did win well, and he keeps going. Well, no, back. but that's what I mean. It's like he actually looked at the Derby differently. Do you not remember all of those guys were, you know, they're yucking it up and they're on the field laughing and he's like doing bench press in the back and he's yeah. hitting a heavy bag. He does not attack the Derby in a way that he's anyone else does. He's a maniac. He, exactly. So I think we just have to throw. Pete Alonso in the crazy pile in a good way and just say we we cannot equate anything he does with a quote-unquote normal human. Well, let's not equate participating in a home run derby and it having a massive, massive effect on what you're doing after. You don't because have to. I, I'm, I've seen it. I've seen it go too wrong for too many guys too many times. Eh. It happens. And if it's it just, does. Okay, so if it's just about thoughts, if it's psychological, if it's, uh, you know, some fatigue, did I pull him up? Whatever. I, I have no idea why the reason might be what it is. I but think how it's is a strictly it launch angle. How thing. is it different than, okay, and maybe us, maybe that, maybe I can get behind the argument that it would help him because sure. a little bit of change in the angle and maybe a lot of these hard hit ground balls are going out of the ballpark, mm-hmm. which would be a great thing for Vladdy. But if it's just like thoughts and it's just feeling good and winning something, getting some adulation, being celebrated on a big stage. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just what Vladdy needs. Maybe that's what the doctor ordered. Yeah. Maybe just seeing the ball fly out of the ballpark in front of fans over and over and over and over and over again, which he's going to do in a home run derby, will be the tonic for him. I'm not really sure, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fret about the rest of the season with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's not reaching his potential anyway to this point, that all of a sudden he's gonna lose everything or the progress that he's, you know, picked up uh, in terms of the snowballing effect on a season just in the last 10 days or so. Like, I, I'm just not going to concern myself about that right now. I don't think it is a slam dunk guarantee that this will crater his season or halt any success he's having. I just think you finally found something. Why would you go and mess with it? There's a reason he stayed away from it for the last four years. There's a reason he didn't want to do it. It wasn't for nothing oh, what that, was that he didn't reason? want to. Well, I would imagine part of it is that it is a long night and it is a lot to ask of guys. And yes, it can be fun, but I imagine it is also takes a lot out of you. And I don't mean that for some fatigue thing throughout the rest of the season. But I mean, if you're a guy who's just sitting there and you're bringing Miggy or you're bringing Pujols Gatorade and you're toweling them off, that's a little bit of a different night for you than it is locking in. And what was it? 90 homers. He hit the time he, he still ended up losing to 
our boy, Pete, my boy, Pete Alonzo. Okay, <laughs> not my boy, not your boy, my boy, Pete Alonzo. I really dislike everything about him outside of the baseball field, but that's okay. My boy between the lines, Pete Alonzo. So I just think you're playing with fire. I'm not saying it is a slam dunk; it'll ruin him. I don't actually think the team should preclude him from doing it. You're asking me what I would do if I'm him, or if I'm John Schneider, who's going to be pitching to him. By the way, pretty cool. He was the guy who pitched to him last time. I just don't like it. I would stay away from it. Do not think it is a flashing lights, emergency, anything like that. But given the week he's had, let's just try to ride that. Because if the if the home run derby is getting adulation and all that, that's like Tylenol or Advil regular. Doing it last night, that is the extra strength. That's the stuff that's truly going to boost you. So have more moments like that, uh, and the derby won't matter uh, one way or another in the second half. Sure. Uh, I just think a home run hitter hitting home runs – might not be the worst thing in the world. He set the single round record uh, in his only other appearance. Uh, he hit 40 in one round. He hit 91 total, which also was a record in 2019, but he did lose to your boy, Pete Alonzo, in the final four years ago in 2019. So Vladdy, perhaps back for revenge with, as you mentioned, John Snyder uh, throwing him the balls. It, it, like I understand like Schneider did it last time, and that all makes sense, but it just feels like... Like, if there was no context, you'd be like, oh, John Schneider's going to throw Vladdy the baseball? That's, that's interesting. No? Well, I think it's, I think, too, you, the idea Like, the of, guy who's, like, not having fun is yeah. like, oh, we're, we're going to let Vladdy swing out of his shoes a yeah. hundred times here. It's, it's a little interesting. It is a little interesting. Now I just want... Now I just want a world where instead of the guys having other all-stars passing to them at the NHL skills contest, I would like to see Sheldon Keefe saucing some passes for the uh, quick release shooting drill. I I would like to see that. Uh, But yeah, with the Schneider thing, I think that if it is all about feels and getting back to how it felt that last time and having a good moment and seeing if that can kind of turn you on, why wouldn't you want to recreate it in its full? The the one thing I can say definitively uh, that I am happy is not a case was when Josh Hamilton did this and he kept going all night. Uh, He had some 70-year-old guy. I think it was like his grandpa or something throwing to him out there. Uh, I just, it pained me to see scenarios like that where you have a pretty old guy who's good to throw a round of VP and then all of a sudden he's throwing seven in a night. That won't be happening with Schneid, so I'm pretty happy about that. Or at least least I hope it won't be. But I don't know. Maybe he's out of practice throwing VP. Does he still do it? One of of life's great questions. Here's another greasy theory of why he uh, jumped at the opportunity. Uh, He's not a guarantee to go to an all-star game. Mm -hmm. Uh, As we know, or we thought we knew, it was going to be all Blue Jays all the time in the starting lineup because Canada, well, it stuffs the ballot box, but Canada got outstuffed by Texas. Uh, The all-stars were announced in the American League yesterday. pretty much all Texas Rangers, not a single Blue Jay. How dare dare they? It's ridiculous when a fan bit. Oh, Uh, never mind. Don't talk about last year. Maybe we shouldn't do it this way. Maybe it shouldn't be voted on the fans. Maybe it should be on merit. Uh, Either way, uh, Texas has more merit than the Toronto Blue Jays this year. uh, And maybe it's more of an accurate reflection. And frankly, uh, does avoid the nightmare scenario, which is we have like five starters and clearly the Toronto Blue Jays don't deserve the five starters Mm -hmm. and we have to sheepishly trot a bunch of baseball players onto a field when, you know, in reality, they didn't really earn that distinction. Uh, Would have been nice to see Bo Bichette get probably what he deserves, which would be a starting role ahead of uh, Corey Seager. But uh, yeah, no Blue Jays starting lineup after the fan vote. There will be some Blue Jays at the All-Star game, but it won't be in a starter's role, at least yet. There could be some uh, there could be some changes, obviously injuries and so on and so forth. Uh, but uh, Canada, 
outstuffed by Texas. Uh, Gosman, Bichette, those are the two that jump out as, as super deserving. I don't know if maybe there's there's one other that, that jumps out. But yeah, those are the two guys that you think at first blush, those, those are all-star seasons that you've seen. Uh, yeah, this is what you get. We've seen it happen before. Uh, well, was obviously, John Scott is like the most famous example. There was, was a Rory Fitzpatrick. I feel like this was like a Jeff Merrick and Greg Wyshynski creation way, way back in the day. Like, mm-hmm. we've seen this before. This is what you open yourself up to. I don't have a problem with it. It is a fan vote. If they want to, I mean, you know, I know bots and AI and who knows what's going on regarding stuffing a ballots that way. But yeah, this is what you open yourself up to. It is a it is a sponsor schmooze fest that is supposed to be fun for kids, but starts after they all go to bed. So I'm not going to get worked <laughs> up about it. I think the two deserving Jays and Gosman and Bichette will make their way there. And let's be honest, this is a market correction for last year when, of all people, Santiago Espinal was an all-star. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's. it's not just a problem this year. It's been a problem. Uh, just, you know, I, I'm, I just like it to be an accurate reflection. Maybe well, that's this, just me. I think, the, I think the thing we've, we and, you know, people who care about this stuff more, dive into more details. I think we all look at all-stars and you will have a X all-star selection as part of your Hall of Fame credential or whatever. But the ones we actually look at, the ones we actually care about are the postseason all-star teams, right? We just saw it in the NHL with the awards of first team, second team. We see it in the NBA every Do year. Do we care about those? I think that when I personally, me, the NBA, maybe I, mean, I mean something contractually. I don't do it for past players. When I think of a, you know, a guy from the nineties or whatever, you're right. I go look at all-star nominations and I do correlate that a little bit, but I think when I'm trying to look back on a career and I'm, you know, Compare and contrast, I don't know, John Tavares and other center X. It's like, I think I'm going to look at postseason all-star teams because I think that is the truest reflection of your place in the league. There's only there 15 in the NBA, 10 in the NHL, and then goalies on top of that. It is the truest measure of if you are truly elite in your sport. Not everybody gets to be an MVP, but that is a way to truly kind of hammer it home. So I don't think the casual fan looks at it that way, but I think... Most people who really dive into this stuff, I think that is that is the truer, the way truer measure of, uh, of ability. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I guess it bothers me specifically with Major League Baseball because it's the only All Star game I care about. Like mm. I, I don't, you know, I don't. I'm not up at ten thirty watching the San Francisco Giants. I, I will want to care. see their best player and the best players playing in this game because it's actually a game I watch. I don't want to just see the Texas Rangers playing the best from the National League. I will care when they go back to uh, the jerseys they should wear, which is just all one team wearing the whites of whatever jersey they have and all one team wearing the roads, grays, color, whatever yeah, whatever fair. it is. That's, that's when I will uh, begin to care deeply about Major League Baseball's All-Star Game. And let's be honest also, Interleague ruined it. Used to be very cool. It was like seeing guys from other planets on the same field. Yeah. And now the... The Pirates are here all the time. It seems like the Cardinals are in town. It's just not as special, and that's fine. Like, I think it's good that baseball doesn't have it as, and for lack of a better term, segregated as it as it always was, but I do think it takes away some of the specialness of World Series All-Star. Well, World Series less so, but All-Star game as well. Uh, nothing will be hindering the special nature of this weekend for the Toronto Blue Jays. It's Canada Day, Boston Red Sox in town. We do have a division rival in town for a big series, and it's a big opportunity for the Blue Jays not to, like, inch closer to the top of the American League East, but they could maybe bury someone. Hold on. You co- are, uh, we're moving on to this weekend series because I have I have something yeah, that you I, wrote I did. down. I did. No, you have something that you wrote down in the notes that we need to discuss. I don't always have to get to it, but I, what is it? I need to get to it. Uh, 
Jock Peterson is hilarious. Why say you? I, I have my own reasons for why Jock Peterson is hilarious. What I mean, stood out to you? Is it just the fact that he looks like a pop singer from the 90s with like that blonde bleached hair? You could easily see him yeah. with puka shells on. Is that what does it for no, you? Because for me, that's guy, what it is. It's a guy who clearly hasn't played in the field all year <laughs> making electric plays in the outfield. Like Not, like, not that I enjoyed right. you know, the Blue Jays hitting the ball hard and not getting anything out of it. But Jock Peterson playing the position last night was legitimately my favorite part of the game. And we watched Vladimir Guerrero Jr. stare down a monstrous towering home run and Chris Bassett strike out 12 guys. Jock Peterson in the field was legitimately hilarious. Okay, I just uh, And I loved it. I had thoughts as well. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed him wearing a pearl necklace throughout the, the World Series run with the Braves. Uh, he was calling himself things I don't. I definitely think I'm not allowed to say uh, on the air. So I just I I adore that man and He's a fun his guy. bleach blonde hair. He's <laughs> get Kawhi Leonard mm-hmm. around because he is a very very fun guy. Uh, we weekend. can we can now talk this about weekend, the Red Sox. Uh, big like. opportunity for the Blue Jays again. Cannot inch closer to top spot, or they can inch, I guess. But you're not taking over or unseating anyone. But you can maybe put a dagger in the hearts. Of the Boston Red Sox who have or just got swept by the Miami Marlins are reeling just a little bit are sub 500 and a big weekend create some distance between yourselves and Boston. Not that that really gets you anything, but it's an opportunity to kind of step on the throat of an American League East opponent. I think it's a good opportunity for the Blue Jays to have a little bit of that killer instinct and try to get three this weekend. Yeah, Red Sox had Bellow on the mound last night. He's been their best starter this year, so obviously you're going to avoid him. Not that any of the Red Sox starters should be terrifying you by any means, but the fact that you can avoid that guy sets you up in a really good spot. Uh, I totally hear what you're saying, but uh, I don't think you need to worry about taking care of the Boston Red Sox. They're going to take care of themselves at some point in time this season. I think it is more important not from a taking care of or stepping on the throat. I think it is vaulting yourself up. You need well, to continue to win more, series for this team. It's more for yourself no, that, than it is, oh, let's make sure they don't catch us. No, it's no. like, hey, can we can we do something meaningful here? And I think that you can spin that in your head as meaningful. We buried these guys. We did that this weekend. I think that'd be a good thing for a ball team they uh, just, to go through. This team just needs to get, or I, I shouldn't say get, they've won a couple in a row. Now they need to continue to make a habit of winning series. That is the only way they're going to climb out of this hole that they have built for themselves. The fact that it's an in-division opponent and yeah, they're not the Red Sox of, I don't know, three years ago, but they are, you know, they're still a capable team. You look at the record again, uh, they just dipped below 500 after getting swept by the Marlins. They were right there dancing around it. So I'm not going to tell you it's a good team, but it is not the putrid, putrid one. I think a lot of people expected them to be. Uh, the, The other thing about it is that again, if you start ripping off two of three, three of four, that's the only way you're going to climb because you just have to start clipping teams. I mean, the Yankees are a half game there. If you can find a way to step on the throats of the Red Sox and get back that half game from the Yankees in the same weekend, that is something I think you should be really, really happy about. And then the Orioles, you have to keep them within punching distance I think you have to keep them within striking distance not say you have to catch them it's possible three teams come out of the division but you don't want to get to a scenario where it's seven and a half it it is possible but you don't want to get to a point where the the Orioles are seven and a half eight and a half ahead of you they're four or five now Uh, that's about as big a gap as you want that to get to so I think that's probably probably the biggest kind of thing to keep in mind with the Blue Jays is just keep winning series and keep the Orioles in striking distance yeah 
payback would be nice too because uh, Boston dealt Toronto one of its worst series so was far not this good. year. Was uh, not one of the low points for sure. So a little payback. Uh, Which on a celebratory that was weekend. payback for for last year because that was uh, that was a thorough. Ab- when, so let's keep going payback when, for payback. When Lourdes Guerrero Junior was mixing up fruit cocktails on the on the uh, the uh, railing at the Fenway oh, dugout, that is that's about as thorough a beatdown as as I can remember. Okay, let's transition to the Toronto Maple Leafs who wrapped up uh, their draft, their 2023 draft, uh, with two more selections, <laughs> uh, Hudson Malinowski and Noah Chadwick are future or potential future Leafs. Uh, hilarious because, um, you know, still nothing has changed. Uh, we come on here pretty much every morning this week and think, well, the, you know, they did what, you know, what they might have just done if Kyle Dubas was here because nothing really has has changed. They used the picks that Kyle Dubas left for them in the, uh, you know, depths of the draft. Malinowski going in the fifth round. Uh, Trey Living did say that he wanted to accrue picks, um, but he wanted to do that by trading down and getting Malinowski later in the fifth round. Like, okay, okay, that's great. Like that you had that strategy. I mean, you didn't execute on that strategy, but what are you going to get out of that strategy? You wanted two more sixth round picks to just accrue prospects that are likely not going to play for you at any point. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's interesting uh, that that was like the priority for him instead of, Hey, we got a lot to do here in terms of getting players in. Uh, But he wanted to trade down in the fifth, did not trade down at all. Did not get any extra picks. Uh, They used their three draft picks. Easton Cowan, Hudson Malinowski, Noah Chadwick. That to me just sounds like guys, I am trying here. Okay. Do you want me to just trade William Nylander to trade him? Would that make you all feel better? I would love a truth serum uh, like the old great Key and Peele sketch with Obama's anger translator. I would very much like Brad for Living's conscious translator to come out and say, okay, what do you people want, all right? I'm trying to negotiate potentially the most important contract in the history of the franchise until the next time Austin Matthews needs to negotiate one. It's going to be the most important one every time it comes up. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to grind Nylander to get him something close to that Timo Meyer number would you like me to just give up on both those things and trade those guys? I honestly think that is where that quote of, I tried to trade down in the fifth. Because why would a GM, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, in terms of being open I mean, about things. Th- I know it's the seventh round, but Vegas just gave Nashville a pick so that they could have a standing ovation for David Boyle. Like, do not, <laughs> do not get me started on the David Boyle love. Oh, oh, we all have to bow down and kiss the ring to this guy who built a farm system. Come a on, Gunner, it was nice. For the, yeah, it was okay. nice. Yeah, sure, it was great. Vegas does have a heart. Yeah, okay, for literally one guy and one guy only, for <laughs> David Boyle. I hope after I never have a consistent gig that one day I can come on here and everyone can be like, oh, Gunner's so great, we love him so much. The David Boyle love, too much, but we don't need to We don't need to dwell on that. In terms of what Trelivig was saying there, that just to me looks like a guy who is, I don't want to say desperate, because if he was desperate, he would do something dumb, but who is itching to counter the narrative that he is just, the here to continue things. He is the coffee warmer. He didn't even make the coffee. He's just keeping it warm. He's just drinking it. He is trying to counter that narrative. And that's why I think he's coming out and saying that because this is a guy who he, he understands the perception of what this team was before he got here. And he understands the perception of what has happened since nothing. So I think that's why you see him making that comment. Why would a G honestly, every other GM would go, yeah, we tried some things. It didn't work out really thrilled with the players we took. 
Uh, but for Trilliving, it's a little more pointed of, I was trying to move down. I was. He, he sounded like Trotz, and Trotz was trying to move down or trying to move into the first round to to make something happen. So yeah, it's I, not, I get where he's coming it's from. It's not even a ringing endorsement of Malinowski either. Like, oh, we thought we could get him later, so we were trying to turn that fifth-round pick into, you know, maybe a, maybe that. a fifth and a sixth. Do, but... they, do they like any guys taken where they're supposed to go? Uh, apparently, they could have got Easton Cowan later. And, although... he, and he was talking about that. It was like, yeah, I mean, everyone had their guys after a certain point, and I guess they had their guys, but they also knew that no one else coveted some of their guys, which is all very interesting and and reason, I guess, why you'd want to trade down. But again, unsuccessful. I guess everyone just kind of... I, I mean, that goes to the theory that everyone was distracted, mm-hmm. wanted to get out of there and just get the draft done. That was a quick draft. It was over before I even got out of the nap yesterday, Bill Guerin, at least in terms of the rounds two through seven. Bill Guerin shouting out Tootsies tells you, I think, everything you you need to know uh, about that draft in, it's, in it, Nashville. It's like unspoken. Oh, we all have draft boards? Let's just... Let's just go with our boards. I will say I We could automate this thing. I have my feels on Easton Cowan. We gave our opinions yesterday. I did have a one percent tick up in endorsement of him when I found out his name is Cowboy. I like that. That's, yeah, that's Cowboy's good. pretty good. Cowboy is pretty good. I would I would like to scream, Come on, Cowboy, in a big playoff game. I would like to do that. Uh, if he could make that come to fruition, that'd be very nice. I would also like to do that. Uh, let's shelve a little bit of Leaf stuff because we got Sam McKee at seven. So we'll go through some of the things Trey Living said, some of the things Sheldon Keefe said. Uh, but today is a big day for the Toronto Raptors as well. Uh, the moratorium period, I believe, begins at 6. Even though there's conversations happening everywhere, 6 p.m., you can have verbal agreements. You can have actual decisions being made, things at least being prepared to be set in concrete at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. Just another step in what is, of course, uh, maybe the most exciting thing about the NBA, which is the offseason and everything that it entails. Uh, but Raptors fans are bracing today, uh, 100%. More reports suggesting that Fred Van Fleet could have a verbal agreement with Houston on a two-year contract worth over $83 million by the end of the day, a quote here, it would be a legitimate league-wide surprise now if Fred Van Vliet doesn't strike verbal agreements to join the Houston Rockets by Friday night. Uh, we kind of understand what this means, uh, mm-hmm. what it, optically what it looks like for this management team. Fred could have been traded in the uh, in the, before the deadline should have should have been traded uh there are other recourses i suppose they could have taken but that was the most likely one but losing what is a top 5 to 10 raptor of all time letting a top 5 to 10 raptor at least in my opinion walk in an area that resembles his prime like he's mm-hmm. still within it it would be probably the lowest moment from Masai since he took over as the guy running the Toronto Raptors. I go back to the comments Masai made at the deadline saying everything we could have done today, we could revisit in the off season. False. That is not true. If Fred Van Vliet walks for nothing to Houston, then it will not be something you could have revisited in the off season. I do understand where the Raptors are coming from with the idea of, the window they're in and obviously they're not operating this way because they're still very much trying to win. It seems that way, but not wanting to pay Fred Van Vliet for the last two years of that contract. I can understand that, but if you were going to feel that way, this was something you needed to deal with at the deadline. I've, I've talked ad nauseum about Van Vliet's legacy in Toronto. I honestly think 
when you kind of close your eyes of just not iconic Raptors moments, but the things that you see that stand out to you. It's Kyle Lowry with the trophy. It's the Kawhi shot. But one of the pictures is Fred Van Vliet lying on Oracle with blood streaming out of his eye. I don't know if this is for everybody, but it is for me. Him talking on the phone after whatever game it was, looking like Bobby Clark with all his teeth missing. An awesome, awesome picture that just tells you everything about what he is to that team and what he continues to be as a professional. For Masai Ujiri, this is a massive, massive misstep. I don't know how you can look at it any other way. I can be talked into, I don't agree with it, but I can hear the theory on, no, you should keep OG Ananobi because that's going to help Scotty Barnes become a better version of himself or allow you to make Pascal Siakam look as good as you possibly can to get a better return. I can be talked into all of those things. The Jakob Pertle one and the Fred Van Vliet one are the two moves that did not make a lick of sense to me then, and as we see what's going to play out tonight tomorrow whatever they're going to make even less sense to me in the coming hours yeah and the inch the most interesting thing here is that despite you know i said five to ten raptor of all time he's for me a personal favorite top yeah. five easy oh, for sure. i really really like fred van vliet i i'm a huge fan of fred but honestly the best thing for this franchise likely is that he moves on it's just optically getting nothing from it is just obvious poor asset management like you can't really avoid that it is a reality you can't avoid but the worst thing they could do right now is say or is look at the situation and look at what he's being offered and understand they have one move in terms of retaining this asset which is to go not two years but four and give him much more money than 80 million dollars guaranteed i just don't even know if that does it because the whole what's his whole thing that that's the worst thing i i understand like the bet on yourself and maximizing your earning potential he'll still sign many contract not many contracts He'll be around for many years after the two years with Houston, which is basically soaking up all the money mm-hmm. while the other guys in a tax free state. In a tax free state, while the other guys, the young guys on that team, get to the point where they have to earn the mm-hmm. money. It's very, very strategic. It's all it's it's great business for Fred. Great business. But the Raptors could look at it and be like, well, we could give you more guaranteed money and we could go four years at 140 million or 130 million and that puts you in a, sp- in a position where you're not planning on anything. You're not stashing away money for others later on. You are giving yourself an issue that is going to exist and linger and become more of a problem compounding over time and over the years and put yourself in a position where you can't get – he becomes a problem mm-hmm. and he becomes someone you don't like because he's the reason why you can't grow as a franchise and as a team. There, it looks like there's two options here. You lose Freddie for nothing, mm-hmm. or you overpay and damage your chances of turning a bad situation around. And really, this is all, again, and they're in this position exclusively because Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster put them there. Yep. This, is, this is misstep after misstep, and now they have the lesser of two evils they should be choosing, which is probably letting Fred walk. Well, and if that does happen, then you are looking at a much more enticing tank scenario if you do lose a guy like that for nothing the problem is i don't think anybody wants to hear the word tank given the draft we just had and the raptors picked guy we all love at 13 but they picked at 13 and if you find yourself in a position where one year later one year later you were tanking 
why could you not have just done that in a year with, say it all with me, a generational talent? Like, why could you not have done it then? So that is, there are just so many forks in the road here. And normally there is one where you go, oh, okay, that's kind of a happy sunny road. I don't mind driving down that. No, ice, hail, fire, volcanoes, all the roads are treacherous. They're all treacherous. Uh, I wonder, though, what it means, what the next step is. If he does leave, does it does it trigger something in the way of full rebuild? You know, you don't want to say it. Forget run it back. Run job. it down. Uh, run I, it down. I, I, what other option do you have? And I understand. Mushy middle. They love it. They do. The mushy middle. They don't. They, well, they shouldn't love it. They, they absolutely should not. But the mushy middle, and it was a very, very high end. It was like a souffle. So it wasn't even mushy. But the, the Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan team reached a pinnacle. And you know what they said? Good enough for us. And they were able to parlay that into the championship. That uh, wait, well, no, it wasn't. To be fair, it wasn't good enough for them because they did actually change it. They well, did something no, no. decisive. But the only reason they did that is because it was going to come to fruition one way or another. DeMar was going to have to get paid. Kyle was going to need another deal. If, no, they weren't, that back. if they weren't winning, one of those guys was likely going to force his way out. So I think that they found this world where they were good enough and it, they were able to turn it into Kawhi and a title and everything along those lines. And then that has that has tricked them into thinking they're going to be able to turn OG and OB and a bunch of assets or Pascal Siakam and maybe something into a, instead of a top 15 player, a top five one. And guess what? Not going to happen. Uh, I think it's tricked them into thinking they could do it again. As long as we have this baseline level, the next Kawhi that comes around, we'll, what, we'll go out and get and saying. they'll do it again. It's not going to happen. It's it, that, it, that was a once in a lifetime for a general manager, for a president type of transaction. And he couldn't wait to get out. That was the thing. They had one shot at it. It worked perfectly. And he, they were never getting another one. I think in hindsight, we can all say there was no chance he was coming back. They should have scorched earth right after that. I know that the optics of that, not great. And then maybe they would be in that position where Victor Wembayama or someone else who has come out of a uh, draft that we've already seen is who you're building around, not just Scotty Barnes, but someone else attached to it. Uh, the Raptors facing a grim reality today. We will find out some answers on Fred Van Vliet, we believe, uh, before the day is through. Uh, we've got to take a break. We've got a busy guest list once again. We'll begin that with Sam McKee. But before we get through the hour, it's the final edition of the non-A-list. A-list. Sports. Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Now, it's time for hey, yo. the A-list. Bing bong. Bing bong. Bing bong. Stop. Okay, no one's been all over the Wheel of Fortune beat like us. Uh, we got some news to further the story. We know Ryan Seacrest taking over for Pat Sajak, but it may not include Vanna White. More jobs, Ryan or Jackie? Uh, I think Ryan, but close. Not for long. Close. Uh, Vanna White gets paid $3 million per year to turn over the letters and that, co-host on the Wheel of Fortune. touch, I wonder. <laughs> it's, that's probably pretty good. It's really, really good. But until she gets... Half of what Zajac made, which was $15 million a year, <laughs> she will not return, apparently, to Wheel of Fortune. I thought it was like, I want 50-50 with Seacrest, which yeah. is like, okay, that makes sense. That's I fair. mean, you seniority, uh, you deserve That's that. Fair. But she wants half of what Zajac was making, which was 15 so she wants seven and a half. She wants a $4.5 million raise mm. to keep going on Wheel of Fortune. Uh, she might price herself out. She might. I was thinking about this. I, I, I will admit, uh, sorry, Vanna, at first blush, I thought, oh, no, don't do that. They're going to replace you in nine seconds. But we talked about the demo of this show. 
the other mm. day. This is not like they're not going to be like, hey, Sydney Sweeney, you looking for a side gig here? No, you're getting somebody in that demo, okay? And I feel like Vanna's probably like the prime of that demo. So, yeah, get your money. Do you play hardball? Bet on yourself. If Sajak's worth it, you're worth half. Get your money, Vanna. Man, leverage is a fascinating thing because if people, you lose Zajac, then you lose Vanna. Tough. Like, it's going to be difficult for ratings. It's going to be difficult what is what it for the be Wheel called. of Fortune hardos Wheel of misery. to reconcile with the fact that you're losing everything. And uh, I think we should continue the leverage discussion after the break with Sam McKee because our buddy Sheldon Keefe looks like he lost a little leverage in his first comments uh, since being retained by Brad Treliving. We will talk about the Leafs. What we saw at the draft, what we've heard from Treliving and Keefe after the break with our buddy Sam McKee.